It is Monday, November 14th, the day after, well, the Monday after anyway, UFC 205, and this is the Monday Morning Analyst. Hello, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. I am uh, a resident, a worker of uh, MMAfighting.com. I hope you're doing well. Um, I'm a little bit sick, but I'm going to power through this, and uh, we'll have a great podcast today. Three parts, as you know, sort of an opening overview of the card. Technically, we'll go in-depth on one fight, and then we'll look ahead uh, what's next. So let's get to UFC 205. There was a Bellator card. I honestly haven't seen it, but I want to say congratulations to Douglas Lima. I did see his win over Andre Koreshkov, so that was great. But we really only have time to dig into UFC 205 today. Uh, obviously, I was there covering it live. If I saw you and you said nice things about the podcast, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, UFC 205, of course, was at Madison Square Garden in New York City for a gate, 17.7 million, a UFC record and a Madison Square Garden record with an attendance of 20,427. Uh, Madonna was even in attendance, so that's, uh, something to behold. Uh, okay, so let's go through this card if we can, and let's talk about what happened. So, a couple of fights fell out, obviously Cerrone versus Gaston fell out, as did Evans versus Kennedy. So we'll skip that. Um, up top, Conor McGregor defeats Eddie Alvarez at 3.04 of the second round via TKO with punches. Man, what do you say about this one? I went back and I rewatched it today. I was thinking about breaking it down, but I thought everyone on their brother is probably going to do that. So, But uh, I'm not going to from the, with the slides, but I want to talk about it here if we can. Conor McGregor is simply someone to marvel at. Two things I think are true, and I think they're independently true. I don't think they're necessarily true uh, because of one or the other, or you know, because of the other, I should say. Eddie Alvarez did not fight a great fight. He even admitted he didn't stick to his game plan. I thought his game plan, for what he described anyway, sounded pretty good, right? Kick that lead leg, disrupt his balance, disrupt his rhythm, never really let him get everything measured and set, and then wrestle when you can. And he didn't really do hardly any of that outside for the first minute, maybe. Not even really that. Um, so he really abandoned it. It's not... Everyone was like, Eddie Alvarez was overrated heading into that fight. No, he wasn't. Like, even if his wins were sometimes... Um, you know, hard fought and not impressive. His resume tells you that this is a guy worth taking seriously. But this has to be one of the worst performances from him I've seen in a while. Partly because of the way he fought, partly because of the way Conor McGregor made him look. I think that part is definitely true. The second part about Conor McGregor, you know, I mentioned on my on my own personal YouTube channel uh, in my sort of post fight recap that you know the the accuracy of McGregor is incredible and the power is incredible. But I think two things we have to consider: one, he has an unusual frame. He was much taller and bigger than Eddie Alvarez. Uh, 76 inches was hard to get around. And it's not merely 76 inches. It's 76 inches used well. Like he really understands how to measure it, time it, and everything else. Um, the left-hand counters over the top, whenever Alvarez would reach with his right hand uh, to crack McGregor with, with a cross, McGregor would step out of the way and just absolutely blitz him, eyes wide open. For a couple of reasons. One, it's what he's really good at. But two, Alvarez would often stay in the same space, uh, which allowed McGregor to take advantage of him. Like, he would blitz and then not get out. He wouldn't blitz and then turn the corner, blitz and then shoot. He'd just kind of blitz and then be there, and McGregor would be able to take advantage of him. And that's the other part about McGregor that I think really impressed me in this fight. Yeah, Eddie Alvarez made some mistakes, no doubt about it. But the other component to me is that McGregor's ability to slide in the pocket just enough. Just enough is pretty amazing, right? He stays in the space where he's just out of the way of getting hit, especially on that last combo. As Alvarez throws a right, it like just touches the nose of McGregor, and he goes left, right, left, right, right? I mean, it's pretty incredible that he's able to do something like that. But everyone talks about, well, he's got big power. He does. He has an unusual frame. 
That also needs to be noted. He does. But it's also true that his distance management at all times is excellent. It's excellent. And as I mentioned on my post-fight recap, he did throw some kicks in this fight. But his ability to be so powerful and so accurate and so devastating with merely upper body striking enables him to where he doesn't have to rely on kicks to win or even use them hardly at all, which already adds to his ability to defend the takedown. Now, defending that takedown in open space, those takedowns from Eddie were poorly set up in in open space. He just shot into them. I mean, a lot of guys are going to be able to stop that. I thought what was impressive to me was his takedown defense against the cage. Um, That's a hard spot to get a takedown in, especially if you're behind there. But nevertheless, I think that what's true has been incrementally McGregor's takedown defense has just gotten significantly better, significantly better, significantly better. So that by now, maybe not a year and a half ago, two years ago, but by now, it's pretty good. Is it the best in the division? I don't think so. Can he be taken down by someone better? I'm sure. But nevertheless, it's not some glaring weakness maybe that it once was. It's 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 formidable now. It's formidable. You have to really get around it. And um, I just keep these guys, man. They keep underestimating Conor McGregor. They just keep doing it. Now, I'm sure Eddie Alvarez in his mind wasn't. He was training hard and taking it seriously and all those things. But at the end of the day, um, if you're abandoning your game plan and just saying, you know what, I'm going to slug it out with him, you're just not respecting the fact that he's just better there than you, especially early. You know, there's a debate about who's the best first-round fighter. Some people said Ronda Rousey. Some people say Anthony Johnson. That's sort of my pick. And Anthony Johnson has had some tough first rounds, but he's more devastating in the first round than almost anyone. But certainly Conor McGregor's in that discussion. As a first-round fighter, this is just not a guy you want to play with. Someone needs to go in there if they want to win anyway, and you just got to wrestle with him right away. And that's easier said than done. Again, because of that distance management, it's very hard to do, but uh, it can be done. And someone needs to go do it. And... Um, it's almost like a Demi and Maya type needs to get in there and play with him a little bit. So all the credit in the world to Conor McGregor for just a, a, making history and just showing us what absolute precision, efficiency, economy of motion, uh, and then just great timing on everything. And, you know, taking his natural gifts and then bringing them to life in a major way. And also so focused up here, man. You know, and when he was fighting Nate Diaz for the first time, he was just lunging into huge shots and using all this energy. And now he's got a much more disciplined way of fighting. And I think the fruits of that labor are are beginning to show. Um, who he's fighting next, I don't know. Tyrone Woodley defeating, or actually I should say tying, Wonderboy Thompson in majority draw 47-47, 47-47, and then 48-47. I actually had it, I think, 48. How did I have it? I think I had it a draw. Because I think I gave two rounds to Woodley 1 and 4. The fourth round I gave him a 10-8. And I think I gave the rest of the rounds to Wonderboy. But I can admit some of those were kind of close. Especially that second round statistically anyway. (coughs) What to take from this? Number one. uh, Wonderboy Thompson is significantly tougher than I think folks had imagined. As I mentioned this again in my post-fight recap. A lot of guys treat these guys from sport karate as maybe talented, but not tough like, you know, Iowa wrestlers. And I'm not sure that's very fair. Especially now from what... Thompson was able to show. You could maybe make a case that the fight should have been stopped when he was getting banged on on the fence, but nevertheless, that's what uh, did not happen. In the case of Tyron Woodley, this is not a another or an improved version of Johnny Hendricks. He has very much become a student of the game, and I think while you could agree Thompson is the more sophisticated striker and Thompson's hesitancy in engaging with Tyron Woodley was one, 
due in part to Woodley's evasion and two, that takedown that he got in the first round and beating him up, up on top kind of made Wonderboy Thompson a little bit more hesitant. He didn't really start bouncing around until the third round and beyond um, on his feet, right? He was a little more planted and very, very careful. When he started bouncing, things got a little bit better for him. But it's there's a case to be made that like who got the better of who on the feet when it's all said and done? Woodley, right? Um, I'm not saying that that makes Woodley a better striker, but insofar as in this mixed martial arts fight is concerned, one guy did a bunch of damage to the other guy on the feet, which is how we essentially measure success, and that was Tyron Woodley. I don't think he's as good of a striker generally as Wonderboy Thompson, but he's much better than I think a lot of us thought, and I think um, um, he knows what gifts he has and he can use them, and he was very well prepared for this fight. I don't know why he didn't wrestle more. That to me was a little bit shocking, especially all the, with the success he had in his first round with Thompson not being much of a threat off his back. So maybe I'm going to have him on my show today, so I'm going to ask him about that. But um, you got to say that the guy's striking is way better than you thought it was because I definitely feel like that's true. Yuani and Jacek defeating Karolina Kovalkiewicz, 49-46, 49-46, 49-46. Not a whole lot to say about this fight. It was classic Yoni and Jacek. I mean, she's had a lot, a lot of decisions recently, which is kind of hurting her mystique as this, like, Chuck Liddell. You know, after those beatings she gave Carla Sparza and Jessica Penny, um, she got a bit of a rep, and I don't think that's not deserved. It is deserved, but it's going to take, it's going to be a little harder to maintain with these decisions. But Kovalkiewicz, I thought Tony Ferguson wore damage well. Kovalkiewicz wears it even better. Kovalkiewicz, I thought, um, you know, someone who can just take a lot of damage and keep coming forward, it's not an automatic thing. I think people like that will end up overachieving relative to their technical ability. She was just a step behind everywhere. Even in the clinch, she kind of got out-muscled, out-wrestled. She was eating a lot of elbows on both sides. At range, she didn't have a lot of answers for Yanjicek's combination. She had trouble closing the distance. She was just beat by a superior fighter, but you got to... I mean, if you didn't walk away impressed by what she was able to show, the calm, the ability to lose four rounds and still push forward in the fourth. She did rock her in that fourth with that punch elbow combo which was kind of nice um but you know she got beat by a superior fighter no shame in that we're talking about a, a fighter who has i think the second longest win streak among active ufc champions um in, in t- terms of title defenses but just not not quite there technically refinement uh, wise uh yoel romero defeating chris weidman jesus 24 seconds into the third round i thought weidman had a decent game plan which was even if i can't take you down wrestle make you tired i would have liked to see a little bit more of that um, he was varying up his strikes. He mostly stayed out of trouble. Yoel Romero had a nice sort of like a foot sweep uh, midway through the fight. But what he can do is just change the trajectory of fight of the fight on a dime. And Wyman shot in for that with, without setting it up and getting closer. And a guy who is ath- as athletic as Yoel Romero is just going to chew you to pieces. You know, a lot of people want to say that he's on steroids. And after what happened with his I- issue with supplements, um, they believe that that's justified. I think it's a lot of media hype. You're talking about a guy who's been under Olympic testing, or Olympic level testing anyway, for 20 plus years. And you can say, well, I mean, we just learned in the last few Olympics that that doesn't necessarily mean it's uh, drug-free. Of course, I don't know that he's not using, but here's what I do know. I remember before he even got to MMA, people in the wrestling world who cover amateur wrestling as a job were telling me that he might have been, during his age, the best athlete in all of wrestling, which is a worldwide sport with a massive participatory rate and the and the 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 book on him was that he was i mean we always use this word freak no he's a genetic freak but that he actually had a low wrestling iq he overachieved because of his natural athleticism and i I mean i think it sort of to me this sort of underscores some of the debate about you know what advantages are conferred from birth when you have the kind of genetics you romero does 
You know, um, certainly steroids would advance your athletic potential, but I just think his natural athletic potential is already extraordinarily high. I don't think he's like a good or even a great athlete who took steroids and became amazing. I think he was born an insane level athlete, and maybe he's taking it, maybe he's not, but there's not a lot of evidence that he is. And uh, I think the be- better evidence is that he's got a fairly simple game. It's not like he has that one inside parry to scoop out body kicks. He's got the one inside parry to scoop out uh, leg kicks. Um, he doesn't throw a lot of combinations, but he's he can throw people around and he can react on a dime. That's what he can do. And I think what that tells you, he's got a ridiculous natural level of athleticism. Uh, Raquel Pennington defeating Misha Tate. Misha Tate then retiring 29-28, 30-27, 30-27. You know, someone told me, wow, Misha Tate didn't look like herself. And that's really not true. She did look like herself, but a lesser version of it. It wasn't like she. It wasn't like BJ Penn fighting on the ball. You know, the his the balls of his feet. Where it's like, dude, who are you? What are you doing? It's not what that was. It was it was her sort of game where I try to wrestle with you. If it doesn't work, I work for my guard. If that doesn't work, I stand. You know, maybe go for submissions. Some decent combinations with her hands. It was kind of that, but not really. Also, fair play to Raquel Pennington. She's just gotten significantly better. Her game has always been a relative meat and potatoes game, but now it's sort of becoming refined. It's less errors she can take more liberties because she has more tools that she can advance her game with um i don't know if this is the end for misha tate but it seems to me if you're telling dana white f you you know you don't i don't work for you anymore it seems like emotionally she might be done um maybe she overachieved in the holly home fight i don't know um hard to say but wherever she is at now Seems like a, at a minimum, a break is needed. We move to the preliminary card on Fox Sports 1. Frankie Edgar defeating Jeremy Stevens, 30-27 and then 29-28, two 30-27s. Frankie Edgar, what can you say about this guy? I thought he was basically the better striker. He was able to land the right hand off of feints and combinations and get Jeremy Stevens looking. He stayed out of the way of the, Jeremy Stevens' big power punches, including that big left hook that he has. Um, for the most part, he actually got caught just sleeping a little bit with that uh, sort of Teep up the front, basically, but then he recovered well, and I think this is what really has saved Frankie Edgar. He's a better technical wrestler than a lot of these guys in the division. Jeremy Stevens was a good scrambler, but he was always on the defensive, and when when he was able to get Stevens to the ground, Frankie Edgar, all of that work he's done in guard passing has really paid off. You know, he got rocked in that in that middle round, but he ended it on top and mount. That's pretty special. You know, that's very, very hard to do. The guy to me is a Hall of Famer. I don't really know where he goes from here. I don't know what the hell Conor McGregor is going to do with those two belts. It's anyone's guess. But um, I personally think he should go to bantamweight. But, you know, credit to Frankie Edgar for being classic Frankie Edgar performance. Classic. Uh, Habib Nurmagomedov defeating Michael Johnson via Kimura at 231 of the third round. We'll take a look at that in the second segment. Uh, Tim Boach versus Rafael Natal. Man. Tim Boach, you could see Rafael Natal. When Natal was standing southpaw, he actually held his rear hand, his left hand, up very high. But he was normally fighting right-handed. And when he fought right-handed, the right hand was down here. And uh, I'm trying to think if that's right. If he was up here, I may have it even backwards. The point being was he was switching stances. Yes, that's right. Because uh, when he was southpaw and the right hand was coming, he was really good about having it up. When he switched... 
uh, when the right hand was coming, all of his hands were, this, this, this lead hand was way outside. Yes, that's correct. I got it right. Sorry about that. Uh, and so the, the right hand kept finding a home. It kept finding a home at the end of combinations. It kept finding a home as a lead check. Uh, it kept finding a home constantly. And so when he finally got Natal around with his back against the fence and Natal was up there strong, this hand was way down. Boach checked him, and that's all it took. Followed up, and he roared. A big win for Tim Boach to come back like that in an absolutely stunning fashion. How about Vicente Luque defeating Bilal Muhammad at 119? Blocking in the combination and then having the wherewithal to come over the top and check it with the same hand. Wow. He has really steadily improved. That guy's record does not tell how good he is. He is one of these kids. How old is Vicente Luque? Let's check that out real quick. 27. Man. It takes a while to get good in mixed martial arts. So not everyone is naturally born with an amazing amount of Yoel Romero athleticism or John Jones just fight IQ or whatever you want to call it. It took him a little while to get good. But I think he's gotten really good recently. You know, he's really got a, a wide uh, arsenal of attacks, um, very technically sound. He's just putting all the pieces of his game together. I don't know how good he's gotten exactly, but um, he definitely needs to be climbing the ranks a little bit. you got to be proud of that kid. He came out of the ultimate fighter, and I think there was some hype around him. But he has he has shown me that he has really worked on his game, and uh, um, I'm definitely going to be I, – I, I, I definitely already had a lot of respect for him, but even after this one, you know, taking it on short notice and putting away a great striker like Bilal Muhammad – um, you know, he caught Muhammad in the middle of a combination just because he was really good with these counters. If you have good defense and great counters in mixed martial arts, what does Conor McGregor have? Steps back, defense, bang, left-hand counters. If you've got good defense and counters in mixed martial arts, you can do a lot with these guys that have come wide with these punches. Uh, then on the fight pass portion of the card, Jim Miller defeating a very languid Tiago Alves. He had a decent moments here or there, but that was really just Jim Miller, uh, who's had a silent, not to say resurgence, but had a decent run of late anyway. Um, Tiago Alves just not looking like the guy who need Matt Hughes into oblivion, you know. Very, very much diminished version of himself. And then lastly, Liz Carmouche reading Caitlin Shukagian, 28, 29, 29, 28, 29, 28. I would have had a 29, 28 for Carmouche. Obviously had great slams throughout, great takedowns and control. Now she got crushed in that third round. Um, but Chukagian just, she was able to survive, and Chukagian just didn't do enough ultimately. So I, I think she did take that third round, Chukagian, and she is a well schooled fighter. The, um, you know, another one of these Mark Henry products. Well, he had a tough night. Four fighters only won one. But um, showed a lot of promise, but it, she just didn't have enough. She, she wants to work behind the jab, and if you can nullify that, well, then she has to wrestle with you. And when she has to wrestle with you, she's still, you can tell, a step behind. Now, Carmouche is very, very strong. She got that Freddie Serrano strength, but nevertheless, um, you know, um, Chukagian, while talented, got some things to work on. Okay, so we didn't talk about the Habib Nurmagomedov fight, which we're going to do now. Not a lot to say about it. Uh, I'm a little bit sick, as I mentioned uh, at the top of the show, if you couldn't already tell. Um, so please forgive me. I will try not to be too, too annoying with it. But I want to take a look at Habib because here's the truth I think about Habib versus Connor. We're going to look at some of the things that Habib does bad in this fight, too. But the truth of the matter is, I think it's a tough fight for Habib, and I think it's a tough fight for Connor. Once Habib, everyone's like, oh, he's a, Habib's a terrible matchup for Connor. Right. Here or here, he's a terrible matchup for Connor. Out here, Connor's a terrible matchup for him. The big lesson that Michael Johnson showed us was that as a southpaw, that he, Habib has very, you know, relative to this level, fairly rudimentary defense and fairly rudimentary offense striking. And more than that, that distance closing 
requirement that he needs is where McGregor succeeds. Now, if he got McGregor up against the fence, I don't think there's a person in the world that at 155 uh, Habib can't take down. But out here, that's a very bad fight for him. So for me, it's like classic striker versus classic grappler. But in this particular case, with Habib versus Michael Johnson, Habib was able to show what a great stri- uh, grappler that he is. So let's take a look at that now. Here is Habib doing his best. Uh, what, what, this is why he's a virtuoso on the ground. Take a look at his win over Michael Johnson. All right, as I mentioned before, I'm a little bit sick, so if I'm mouth-breathing through this thing like Pat Lundvall, please try to forgive me. I'll do the best I can not to do that. Okay, so we're not going to look too much at the second round because it was almost a repeat of the first round, at least insofar as it relates to what Nurmagomedov was doing. But there were obviously mostly positives to look at in the case of Nurmagomedov and a few things to look at that could be a cause for concern. Namely, he got tuned up a little bit early by Michael Johnson. Didn't last too long. Um, and in fact, Nurmagomedov was able to like land some of his own punches in the stand-up in the second round. But you get the idea. Uh, and we're not, not going to show everything. But I just want to show this one opening sequence here at 420 of the first round. What you wind up seeing from Michael Johnson is that as Nurmagomedov faded to the inside to his jab side, which would be his right side, this side, he would fake a knee to like get him to react. Um, or to threaten him to stop him. And then he would try and find the right space to land the left. And he missed a lot, actually, because he'd be too far away. You know, you obviously don't want to get Nurmagomedov to get too far inside. And some of these, I'm sure he didn't mind missing because he wanted him to be fearful of coming inside. So here you see him launching a left. He does have proper outside foot position, but you can see he's just too far over. Nurmagomedov actually does a pretty good job of sliding in and out of the pocket. So this one doesn't go anywhere. But, but keep watching here to see how this unfolds. This is five seconds later. You see Nurmagomedov sort of take coming in, taking a, 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 a horse stance of sort, of sort, like dropping his level. Michael Johnson still has outside foot position, throws another left. This one will miss. It does not land. It looks like it might land, but it actually doesn't. Uh, or no, actually, I think that lands a little bit. No, sorry. The second one does not. Forgive me. This one does not. But you can see he's trying to find a home for it at all times. So what winds up happening was he comes back out. Nurmagomedov exits out of range. He comes back in. What you'll see is that you see him bouncing, threatening. You see him leaning here, trying to get a reaction so he can maybe land a right hand or um, shoot. You never quite know. You see this all the time. He raises this knee just to be like, I see you. You're not going to get away with this. And what you want to pay attention to is how he angles himself off. So what he does is you see him come to the outside. He's moving his feet a whole lot. Everyone talks about the speed of his hands, Michael Johnson. But the speed of his hands is matched by the speed of his feet. Right? He's able to do that a lot and throw a lot and be quick. I mean, he obviously is naturally fast, but he's moving his feet all the time so quickly that it enables him to get off a lot because he's always got him under him insofar as he's used to being able to move like that. So you see him now angled out. What you're going to wind up seeing is he's going to threaten it again one more time. He's going to sort of reach. You see Nimbrick Madoff trying to wave him in because that's what he wants, of course. He's going to circle out this way. So you see what he do- had, has done is... Let's go back just a little bit. 4.15, he's away. Circles, let's see, clockwise. Th- uh, sort of threatens a reaction. Goes counterclockwise. Threatens a reaction. Sort of gauges distance. Goes back across the power side of Nurmagomedov. But this time he's close enough. And why is he close enough? Because as he circled over, Nurmagomedov steps in. You see that? 
You can see where he is in the monster piece. Look where he does. He steps to this space. Just like that. That gives Michael Johnson the, 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 the right angle that he needs. And, of course, the right distancing that he needs. Kablam. Lands a nice left on him just like that. Look how close he is. Right to the outside of that foot. Nice shot by Michael Johnson. This one landed cleanly. All right, here we are again a little bit later in the round. You see him threatening this every time he sort of comes and feints to that left side. Michael Johnson shows him this. He reaches for, uh, you know, sort of a pawing, measuring jab here. Goes to the body this time, almost, and quite literally steps on the toes of Nurmagomedov. And you can see how far he's reaching. Another really good striker could make him pay for it, but I don't think Johnson really worried too much about the counter-striking of Nurmagomedov. Not to say that he doesn't have it, but I don't think Johnson was necessarily all that concerned by it. So we keep going. Here he comes, threatening again. Raises that right knee again, right? Just to make sure, like, don't get too close unless it's on my terms. Faints out again. You can see he's pretty far away. He's going to reach here. And he'll have to go to the body instead. But this is nice. Nurmagomedov wasn't really prepared for it, right? And now, actually, he takes a big, long step. And he's he's almost where he needs to be. I don't know if this would have landed to the head, but you get the idea. Goes to the body. Here we are again. Johnson fading over. You can see this is what he wants. He doesn't quite have the right angle in this moment of the slide. And you can see he throws. And this one does not land. It looks like it might, but it actually doesn't. Nurmagomedov blocks it. And you can see, look, he's not even really touching the mat almost. He's reaching so far for Nurmagomedov. He really wanted to, you know, maintain that distance, threaten him every time he got kind of close. Never wanted him to get too close. Here we go again. Nurmagomedov trying to get, tries to sort of faint on the inside here. Gets a reaction from Johnson. You see it all the time in that first round. Here he thinks he has the right space. You can see Nurmagomedov light on the back heel, heavy on the front one. That means he moved into this space. Johnson recognizes that and wants to attack him for it. So what does he do? He throws the right, gets the hand to come up, and I guess confuse Nurmagomedov, and then throws the left right through the middle. This one partially lands. So what happens? Nurmagomedov tries to counter, and what you'll see is this lands in real time. But it doesn't really land that hard. Plus, he has to plant foot on that left leg. So what does Johnson do? Says, thank you very much. And cracks him with a right, which allows him to go right back up there with a left. Now, this one lands a little bit and sort of skims off. But that right landed nice and clean. Okay? And it allowed him to follow up with another left. And that one pops his head back. So one more time with that real quickly. You can see this. Right? He's away. Johnson steps to get the right, the, the proper angle as Nurmagomedov moves to that inside space. Remember, he goes out. He goes side to side. He finds the right moment as Nurmagomedov comes inside after a feint. All right. Judges distance. Hits a little bit here. Nurmagomedov counters. Boom. Makes him pay. Makes him pay. And then catches him again when his d defense is sloppy. You can imagine how someone like Conor McGregor might have some success with that, especially as a southpaw fighter just like Michael Johnson. You can see how this could be very problematic for him. Okay? Now, here's another time. Nurmagomedov extending with that jab. It misses. Michael Johnson gets to the inside. Here he steps really far inside. Let's see what happens. Um, oh, is this the end? No, this is different. Which one is this? Oh, I think this is just him reaching on the inside, sort of threatening. Nurmagomedov sort of, you can see how when he gets too far into position, he's still upright and he can be countered. He didn't get countered this time, but you get the idea. So this time, Nurmagomedov has the outside foot. Let's see what happens. Boom. That's what he wants now. Right? He's got Johnson attacking, leaning, and he's got all the distance he needs to get down 
and extend that left. You see how the left is extended here? Johnson's getting ready to fire that left because of what Nurmagomedov's doing. Fires it, and he gets in under it. Now, he didn't fire it cleanly, but he was getting ready to throw it. And Nurmagomedov gets deep on the inside. I want to show something here. And this is really where everything just comes undone for him, more or less. He, he defends the shot a couple of times in the second round, but it doesn't really matter. Um, I want to pay attention to something here. Look at this. What do you notice there? Nurmagomedov is on his knees. Um, <laughs> I just want to say something here, like, a lot of times, if you go to your knees, I'm not saying that it's wrong. It's not wrong. But what I am saying is there's a lot of guys who can't do that. They can't mix up that position in the rest of their attacks without losing something in the process. They weaken the chain, so to speak. Again, not, not for everyone. That's not true for everyone. And I'm not saying there's no ways to do it correctly. There are ways to do it correctly. But I can also tell you there are a lot of guys who just don't have that kind of skill. To me, it's not that this is wrong or it's right. It's an example of how good Nurmagomedov is. That he can go to his knees and still do lots of things from it, even if they're basic things. You might be like, well, he just went to his knees. All he's going to do is push Johnson back here. Yeah, that's true. He's just going to push Johnson back here. I'm telling you, even for other guys, that, that would be the end of the road. They would get tossed to the side here. They would lose all their momentum. Not Nurmagomedov. He can go to his knees to get super low on a guy if he needs to and still end up here. That Don't take that as a given is my only point. Okay, well, this is the beginning of the end, at least for the first round, for Michael Johnson. And this is just classic Nurmagomedov. We saw some of this, not this exact stuff, with some of these same principles applied in the Daryl uh, Horcher fight. Excuse me, I was calling him Darren. Um... What are you going to see here? Nurmagomedov's got an underhook on the right side. He has an overhook on the left side. So in other words, Johnson has an underhook here. This should be 50-50, right? It's not. It's so not 50-50. It's not even close to 50-50 when you're going up against a guy like Habib Nurmagomedov. Why? Right? Here's what he's going to do. Now his hands are clasped over the top. You would think, man, look at this underhook. Look how far apart these hips are. He can rip them up. Nurmagomedov won't be able to change levels. You know, what's really going to happen here? He can't really attack the legs. Yeah, okay, he's not going to attack your legs. Nurmagomedov doesn't need to attack your legs. He just needs an underhook. In this particular case, you're back against the fence, and you're toast. Watch what happens here. What's he going to do? He's going to get on top of this underhook. See how here, see, look what the shoulder is here. Like, the elbow is behind the shoulder. Watch this. I'm going to get on top of it. Now what am I going to do? I'm going to bury this effing underhook behind your back. That's what I'm going to do. Like that. Look at that, folks. You might be like, well, that's easy. It's so not easy to do. You have to be strong. You have to be technical. You have to know exactly which way to grip on a guy. You have to have done that a thousand times to other guys. To just take a guy's underhook an inside control position, get on top of it and bury it behind them while you're trapping a leg. <laughs> it's uh, it makes me laugh. It's so hard to do. It makes me laugh. It's so hard to do. You this is advantageous in theory for Michael Johnson. Doesn't matter to Habib Nurmagomedov. So what's he gonna do now? Look at that. He's got his and and by the way, it's not really that he's burying the underhook. Watch where his hips go around. All the way around. They're almost, they're almost like connected hip to hip. And so now what's he going to do? He's going to look behind himself as he leans. And he's not, remember, he's not going this way. He's going to go this way, 
right? He's going to take him to the empty space, not straight in a back, in a straight line. He's going to go for a ride on a on an angle, on a curve, because it's much stronger that way. Like that. You see that? Nurmagomedov already looking down. Look how buried that underhook is. Right? Just sealed to his body. It's crazy. It's crazy. I don't know anybody else who does it like this in, in, in MMA. Especially at this level. Um, okay. So now you see this. You're like, wow. You know, you got Johnson's hips facing the mat. You got Nurmagomedov's facing up. This looks bad for him. But actually, Nurmagomedov let this go and he kept this underhook. Because to him, underhooks are still valuable. And what he's going to do is he's going to hold this as a post. He's going to trip this out as he pulls him over. There you go. And then he comes right down. He keeps his underhook. Now whose hips are facing the mat? Nurmagomedov's. So... He comes up. Johnson tries to get to a hip, which is the right thing to do, but it's not going to work because Nurmagomedov is going to cover the space, and now we work from side control. So let's talk about side control with Nurmagomedov for just a second. I'm not saying he treats side control the same as he treats half guard. If you have him in half guard, I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is he's got fluid attacks that connect all those different parts. It's effortless for him. And what he's going to do is he's going to attack with ground and pound. And when he's not attacking with ground and pound, he's going to attack with wrist control. When he's not attacking with wrist control, he's going to pass. And when he's not passing, he's going to go for a knee ride of some kind or a knee on belly or something else. And if he's not doing with that, he's back to ground and pound. If he's not doing with that, he's going to mount. And if he's not doing that, he's going to go pass again. If he's not doing that, he's going to put your wrist behind him. You get the idea. Like he is just going to attack you in such a way you can't cover all the bases at once, and whatever you leave open, he will just take. So let's look at that. Okay, this is pretty nice. Look what he's doing. He's taking that wrist, and he's just going to force it behind himself. See his hands here? Look at that. This is his hand taking Michael Johnson's hand and shoving it behind him. How that is even possible, I don't, I don't really know. I didn't get to see the initial setup. All I see is him grab it here, and he's using his weight of gravity on top, and I think he's floating on his head a little bit here to just drive it down underneath him. Because remember, his elbow is closer to his ribs, so he's probably a little bit stronger there, and he's driving it behind him. I'm not exactly sure how he does that. I've actually never seen it done so effortlessly against a guy unless there's a major strength disparity, and maybe there is, but it's usually not that common with guys in the same weight class. So we keep going. Now it's behind him. And now he's in Manta Crucifix. Like, he literally just took it and stuck it behind him. I didn't get to see the initial setup, but here we are. So now he's banging on him with elbows. Let's watch what happens. All right, so Michael Johnson escapes, but he can't get all the way around like he needs to. He got this arm free to escape, but what he, what he would need to have is this elbow on the other side so that he could corkscrew in this space. But Nurmagomedov puts an arm here and stops this. But Nurmagomedov knows this won't allow him to hold him forever, so he's got to do something. So watch Nurmagomedov's control here. It is, at all times, attacking a hip and the neck slash head. Control the head, control the hips, and they can't go anywhere. And that's what this is. Watch. So here's what he does. Let's see where we were before. Okay, see this? Let's see what he does. First, he closes the elbow. Elbow was open before, now it's closed. Now what's he going to do? Okay, when someone puts an elbow on your face or a knee in your, on top of your ribs or sternum, whatever, they're look, they, they could be doing a number of things. In this particular case, this tells me he's trying to move. But he needs to move by 
pinning your he can't just let this head float because if you control the head it's hard for them to move their spine when you control the alignment of the spine they can't really buck and move so that's what he's doing here he's holding that i'm going to drive it down. he's not this is not a strike he's taking it and leaning it into his face okay so now what does he do changes it to a cross face now he knows michael johnson wants to go into him he's blocked the hips excuse me blocked the hips and he's blocked the head let's keep going now what does he do now he takes that arm and brought it to the other side. So he's got control going this direction and then control going that direction. Both ways, head and hips are controlled. Okay? You can only do this to one side before they might just roll to the other side, but then again, his weight is covering his belly. Michael Johnson can't really do a whole lot here. Okay? So now he's got it opposite side. Block the far side hip, got the head inside control. Now what's he gonna do? That. Do you see that? Go back and look real quick. Pay attention to this. What's he going to do? There it is. Look at that little sliver of skin. Now comes the neon belly. Okay? This is when you just begin to see the magic of Nurmagomedov work. Not a lot of guys who have just insane dexterity like this. Or when I say dexterity, I don't mean like actual physical dexterity. I mean sort of like uh, uh, metaphorical uh, dexterity. Like the ability to work in these kinds of positions effortlessly um, in a a massive, huge variety of them, okay? So here we go. What happens when someone does knee on belly? You have two choices. One, you can roll away from it and get your back taken, or you can roll into it. Most commonly, guys roll into it. A lot of guys sometimes don't, but they either get their back taken or they might be unusually good scramblers. Michael Johnson takes the more conventional path and decides to roll into it because if I'm on my side, there can't really be a neon belly. But that doesn't really work that well either because here's what's going to happen. He's going to cover your weight on top, and you notice there's no knee shield here. Even if there is, it's not going to help you, but just notice. So now what does he do? You've rolled to your side, and you are wide open a little bit here. Go back and look. See that arm right here? It's kind of it's blocking the hip of Nurmagomedov, but it's away from his body a little bit, right? So he rolls to his side. Nurmagomedov is going to keep that that arm in front of the forehead, and it looks to me like he's grabbing behind the arm or the wrist, which he's going to use as he comes to the side. He's going to as a blocking mechanism to slide that knee up on the inside. Now he's blocking your arm. He will commonly do this. He will commonly do this a variety of different ways. This is what he loves to do. If you take half guard on him, uh, and especially if there's no knee shield, he will take his left leg, I guess, again, if it's on this side, his, his outside leg, and he will take it to your bottom half arm, and he will pin you there. And what will he do from there? He will bang on you. He will bang on you, and he will bang on you with authority. Okay? Now... He keeps going. You can see now he's got the knee shield on the inside. But what's happening here? Nurmagomedov, you can see his toes. He is pressing into Johnson. So Johnson's got a knee shield up, and he thinks that's helping him. And to an extent it is, but he's also carrying Nurmagomedov's weight now. Nurmagomedov is balancing off of his toes into the shin. Here it is, all the way across of Michael Johnson. Michael Johnson is now carrying his weight, which allows him to do what? Free up his upper torso so he can continue pounding on him. Just like that. You see that? Now he lost the knee shield temporarily. He tries to bring it back. What happens when he brings it back? Nurmagomedov puts his weight back into him, holds his head down. You see this? And then look at him leaning into, leaning into the knee shield to then fire that left. That knee shield is giving him the stability that he needs. The knee shield is not wrong, but if you're not using the knee shield to attack immediately, um, 
or you know you can fire it out and then sit up with the underhook or something. It it it, 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 it you're just you're giving a guy. Imagine imagine you're reaching over a cliff. Okay, imagine you're at a um, what's the best way to think about this? Imagine you're at uh, a beach, and there is a bridge out where people the fishermen can go. You know, forty yards out or something. It's still a beach. There's still water underneath. But imagine you wanted to you know uh, reel in a fish. You're reeling it up, and it's not quite all the way over the. You know, there's a um, um, you know, there's a three foot high perimeter as you're walking out on the on the pier to cast your fishing rod right there's a little there's a little guardrail imagine you wanted to pull your fish up as you caught it a little bit on the line and you just put your belly and your waist over the guardrail it would allow you to lean over and pull it up right that's kind of what he's doing here now he's on a knee and he's and and that's helping it too i'm just saying michael johnson's carrying this right now to an extent he, you're giving that him to, to give that to him. All right, so now he's pounding on him, and you can see now the knees up, right? So he's he's he'll give up certain positions to an extent just to land harder shots, right? So Michael Johnson says, "Aha, this is my moment. Won't let me regard." That's a good job by him. He shrimps out, foot in the hip ish, changes the angle. Nurmagomedov follows, and he ends up in guard. Okay, not bad, but for some reason he decides not to seal it. Not good. So what happens? Watch this right leg. What's he going to do? This is one of my favorite. This is one of my favorite passes too. He is going to bring that shin all the way to like the junk essentially of Michael Johnson. And he's going to drive that inside. But first, before he does that, he's going to establish a better structure. He's going to straighten that leg out and he's going to whip it around all the way over here as he's bringing his weight forward like that. There's that foot. You see that? Now what's he going to do? The knee's already inside. You can't close that guard. So he's just going to rotate his hips that direction, right, towards this space, and bring that knee down. You see him trying to do it already? Michael Johnson hangs on as he tries to finish it and closes the guard, catching just his, like, foot at the bottom there. So Nurmagomedov says, okay, that's no problem. If I can't go this way, I'll just go the other way. This happens all the time in jiu-jitsu. I want to go one way, you block one way, so I go the other. Or I go one way, you follow, I fake the other, and then go back the same way. Jiu-jitsu is a lot, or you know, sambo in this case, whatever, we're grappling, it's a lot of the same concepts. If someone blocks one way, you fake another and go back to the same way, or you just change directions all the time. So he wanted to go this way, he got blocked, so what's he going to do now? He's just going to go the other way. Like that. Look at that, he's going to push down on it. So he wanted to go the other way, he'll just take him out, and this is like a three-quarter mount, okay? And Johnson says, well, we can't allow that to happen. So he shrimps, and he tries to get that underhook. That is the right thing to do, but Nurmagomedov just puts his weight so flat on top of it and controls so effortlessly here. Let's see how he keeps control. So one, he's going to flatten your head back down, and he's going to pin your hips. Pinning your hips, weight covering, covering your face now, controlling the head and the hips the whole time. So now what's he going to do? What does he do? He slides that knee right back on top of that bottom arm. And well, that gives him just stunning amounts of control because now he can elbow. And now you're not thinking about trying to get use an underhook to stand up. You're trying to preserve yourself. That's what you're trying to do, okay? You can see it's now gone. And I'm trying to see where he lost it here. Right. Once he starts eating shots, that, that hand just doesn't come. He, he releases it because he has to protect himself somehow, right? So Nurmagomedov stands up and just begins to slam him uh, with heavy shots, okay? Now, there's another shrimping moment 
where he comes sort of to his back. Nurmagomedov says, no problem, this is one of my favorite setups. So Nurmagomedov is in this like reverse half guard here where he's facing, the hips are kind of facing away. A lot of times you want to come, to, in jiu-jitsu you want to come down and occupy this space. He doesn't really concern himself with that. And you can actually see he tries to step out for a pass here to come to side control and uh, Johnson blocks it. So it's a pretty good job by Johnson. But we keep going. This is my favorite. All right, he comes for, usually we have a knee on belly. It's this leg if they're in this position, right? This one will be standing out here, pivoted out, and this one will be on here. So what's he doing, right? This is not, and I'm, not, I'm definitely not calling this the wrong leg, but this is unusual. This is what he's doing. He will usually have, do it normally. He'll usually put this on here to create mount, to get a scramble from you, to do something, to elicit a reaction from you. This time, he's not actually trying to elicit a reaction from you, at least he doesn't care. Because what he's going to do is, he's going to pin you down this way, as his weight is still heavy on top. And now he's going to slide his knee to cover that inside arm. Oh, that is brutal. That is so brutal. Look at that again. That is crazy. I don't think I've ever seen that. Okay, and by the way, Michael Johnson, you like, why can't he re-guard here? Look at his legs. His legs can't come inside. I mean, he, he can move them around a little bit, but he can't do a whole lot with it necessarily. He can maybe get a butterfly hook and scoop out and then try to push and sit or rotate over or something. I'm not saying there's nothing he could do, but it's not like he's got a ton of options. Nurmagomedov takes the, takes the outside leg. Usually it's the inside leg. Goes to neon belly and then just sticks out his arm to cover it. And Johnson can do nothing but, you know, leave it there. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy that he can do that, okay? So we keep going. Now, what does this picture remind you of? This reminds me of Mickey Gall pounding on CM Punk. It's not identical, and I'm not saying that Mickey Gall is Nurmagomedov, and I'm not saying at all that Michael Johnson is CM Punk. What I'm saying is Nurmagomedov is so good, he can get to positions like this on very talented guys in the same way that Mickey Gall was able to do it on a guy who had basically no business at this level. Um... That should tell you a lot about Nurmagomedov's skill, okay? Boom, crushes him with this shot, okay? And then you see him here. This is what I mean when he normally goes neon belly. You can see that leg. It's not a true neon belly because it's on the inside. You'd have to be like almost in side control for the, a true neon belly. But you can see that's what a, th this would normally be the leg doing it. In the last couple slides, this was the one he did it, and he slid it across to bring that arm in. And he lost it, but he doesn't care because what does it matter? Yeah, I lost it. Okay, here. I'm going to use this just to set up a blocking mechanism just to hammer you. And my knee has to come up and you get this arm back, but I'll trade that because I know I can get it right back and now you have to eat a punch. So here we are. He's going to remember Jacare did this to um, Vitor. Same kind of thing here. Knee on the inside. He's just going to be like a knee ride right in the middle, right? And you can slide that up the gut and pass. You can just hold it there for balance. You can do a lot with that. So he keeps it up the middle as Johnson tries to get to his base. Right? But he should have had this underhook. Now, underhooks don't do a whole lot against Nurmagomedov, but you get the idea. This, if you had an underhook here, you see him try to get to an elbow. Nurmagomedov is like, bad choice, bro. This is not going to go well for you. Right? Drives him to the side. And what's he going to do? He's going to move right to mount as he's reaching behind for that arm. You see him posting here. He has to create space to do it. He can't be on his... Michael Johnson can't be laying on his shoulder and get up. He has to put his elbow down and create space so his body can get away. And as he does that, this little gremlin reads it right away and decides, I'm going to have that, not you. 
Okay? And while he does that, oh, by the way, he moves to mount. And there, that arm is through. And he doesn't grab all the way to the wrist necessarily. He might use the left hand to grab the wrist and this one to grab the bicep. And then he can just slide down it. In other words, he doesn't just go and grab for things and hold them. He'll build his way to things if he has to. But he just knows your reactions. He knows what you're going to do. He knows what your options are. And he knows what openings are there when you try to take advantage of those opportunities. And he shuts them all down. So this is when things get really quite terrible. So... Uh, here is Michael Johnson. You can see he's trying to get to that elbow, and Nurmagomedov's not going to let him. What's he going to do? He's going to pull the wrist with two hands, this hand and the one he has behind the back. He's going to pull it in while he drives his weight forward like a, like a policeman would do if he was arresting you or something. And it, 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 it brings the weight of Johnson forward. Right? There's a better look at it. And what does this do? This basically frees up Nurmagomedov from this like modified mount to just crush you, bro. Uh, this, <laughs> this is so terrible. Look at this. And he tries to get up again. There's the, you can see the red on the gloves of Nurmagomedov. He's got it right here. He's going to take both hands and scoop you right back down. Just like that. Just like that. He's going to drive his weight that way as he brings your shoulder and everything that way. Shoulder forward, wrist behind you. Yeah, And then as you get up, he just bangs on you continuously. Um, eventually, Johnson decides to go and face him to close out the round because he's just tired of getting hit. And he actually tries to go to mount. Johnson did a good thing, brings the knee inside, which prevents it. But you can see Nurmagomedov is passing the hand under underneath to himself, or at least trying to at least hold it in position while he comes around and grabs it. That way he can gift wrap it. And then come around with the left hand. He lets it go, though, eventually. And then Nurmagomedov pounds on him as he creates space. There's 10 seconds left. He tries to stand. Nurmagomedov shoves him, cracks him, and then follows him here before the end of the round. So let's not. we're not going to take a look at too much of round two. Just want to show you one thing. First of all, look at Harambe here, Nurmagomedov, literally walking on his knuckles. <laughs> Just want to point that out. He should change his name from the Eagle to Harambe. I am voting for that right now, okay? Uh, and this is my point. Michael Johnson, to his credit, stuffed a couple of takedowns earlier, and that should be noted, okay? Definitely should be noted. Michael Johnson definitely was able to stop a couple of these. But, I mean, who cares if you can stop a couple of these if once he gets you, it's a, it's, it's, it's a show. What does he have? That one underhook. I'm not saying that will work every time, but this is basically all he needs. He only needs one underhook. And he comes here. Michael Johnson sits for the guillotine. A lot of people are like, why did he sit for the guillotine? My thought was... I don't blame him necessarily. I mean, if he thought that it's too late for me to conventionally defend this, maybe just go for a submission because I know I'm going to be on my back anyway, right? I can understand that logic. But again, here's what I don't quite get. He comes down here. He doesn't have it. To have it, he'd have to be angled out, like out. Like he'd have to be almost on his elbow here on, on his right hip. And he's still kind of square on him. It doesn't ever really have it. He closes the guard here and then... Nurmagomedov pops out, and this is what I don't get. He stands, and when he stands, he re releases the guard. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't release the guard, but here's a trick about opening guard. Just think of it this way: you, if you are gonna, if you are in full guard, and you're gonna open your guard, you should be opening guard on your terms, not theirs. If someone is opening your guard because they opened it when you wanted to keep it closed. That's good for them. That is bad for you. So just always think about that. Like if a guy is going to stand on you and you're going to open your guard, open it on your terms. 
And he doesn't do that here. He opens it because he just gets opened. And what happens here is Nurmagomedov is going to just open up as he does before, right? I mean, his own stance. And he comes around. Now, he might be asking, how did Johnson open the guard? He just kind of released it. It was really weird. I think he felt like if I don't open it, I'm going to get passed real badly. Maybe this way I have a chance at knee shield. Um, but you can see we're right back where we were before. So you can guess what's going to happen here. He just takes this inside leg and slides through. And here we are. I want to point something out here. We'll see how long this took. Okay. 322 is where we are. 316, he is in side control and almost a mounted crucifix. I mean, you want to talk about just walking through someone's guard? That's bananas. Okay. Here he is, 314, mounted crucifix. It's just terrible. It's just terrible. Um, now, the rest of this round basically goes like this, where he's just getting banged on. So let's go to the third round. And by the way, the second round you guys all saw, it was the same thing where he had the wrist behind him, bending him over, and just crushing him. Here he is again. Look how low this shot is. Michael Johnson has good takedown defense. He has a good sprawl. Harambe here is on his knees again, and this time not necessarily up against the fence. Yes, that foot might be there, but the point being is, if you're if you, Mark Munoz used to get criticized because he was like, man, this guy was a national champion wrestler, but he goes to his knees when he's fighting like Yushin Okami, and the shot loses all momentum. Not for Harambe. <laughs> and I mean that complimentary, of course. Uh, Harambe here, oh, Nurmagomedov gets to his knees and just cuts the corner as he steps up and over. Like, I'm telling you guys, he's able to get so low that he's on his knees and his weight is behind him. Positionally, his weight is not forward. It's behind him. And he's still able to just keep momentum. That's scary, man. I'm telling you, not a lot of guys can do that. You know, a lot of guys will tell you when they teach you how to do a wrestling shot, they're like, you know, they'll do what's called a knee pound. Make sure your knee touches the ground. And then as you get more advanced, they'll be like, ah, you don't need to do that anymore. It's just a way to teach you to go to your, to go to your knees. That's just one knee. Harambe's got two knees on the ground. I mean, you know, again, I'm just telling you, I'm not saying this is wrong. I'm just saying don't take this for granted that every guy can do this because they can't. Okay? So then he puts him up against the, the fence and rotates him around and then rotates his body the other way as he comes around, scooping both legs. All right? And then it says, as he looks over, he can see here, Johnson's doing nothing on either side to defend the, the mount. So he just takes it pretty quickly. As you can see, if you're not defending, he's passing. If you are defending, he's punishing you with strikes. And if you're not doing that, he's going to go back to passing. And if you're not doing that, I mean, he'll just, whatever opening you leave, he's always doing something. The activity is crazy on top, right? There he goes. He sits up. He scoops the legs. Now, this is not the best scoop. You kind of want to be in more, sort of on top of the knees. And so it works for a while because he's, you see, crushing him here like this. But it's not enough to, you know, you're not really covering the head and the hips, right? It's just enough to be annoying and land a few shots, and he does. But eventually he has to scoop it again as Michael Johnson gets his hips back. He has to cover the position again. This time he just, instead of, you know, Michael Johnson goes up here, what does is, what is Nurmagomedov do? He just rotates him around this way, right? Side to side. Covering the wrist as he does. Moves to mount, and here's the wrist. He just takes the wrist and uses that as a post to help bring his body forward. Remember how he was walking on his knuckles before? I mean, in this particular case, he is grabbing the wrist. And imagine using that, and I'm going to 
pin that to the ground. I'm going to use that to bring the rest of my body into position. So you're carrying all that weight, and it's here behind him. And that, he does this effortlessly, effortlessly. And he has a very low mount. You don't see high mounts from Nurmagomedov. I think he likes to play around here because it's easier for leg tie-ups and for rides. So something to note, like he's never going to go too high on you necessarily because he likes mount to threaten. He likes mount to cause you to panic. He doesn't like mount to finish. He, that's something that should be noted about Nurmagomedov. Whenever I talked about Mount being a lost art, you might be saying, well, here's Nurmagomedov in Mount. How lost could it be? Right. Getting to Mount is not a lost art. Holding Mount is a lost art. And I'm not saying that Nurmagomedov couldn't do it on some other guys, but in in the UFC, he doesn't. it's not the same thing as Demi and Maya for him. Demi and Maya gets to Mount, and I think in his mind considers, I can finish here. Nurmagomedov is much more open and fluid. So you can see this is a terrible, terrible place to be. For my, I mean, I look at that. It, he, it's. I don't know what to say about this. Like this is not merely mount. This is mount with an extraordinary amount of control. His grip, by the way, to be able to grip another guy, and you saw from side control how he was able to put it behind him between his legs, and now he can do that as he moves forward. Nurmagomedov's grip must be absolutely ridiculous for a lightweight. It must be insane, okay? So here he comes, and he's pounding, and he knows he can't hold this position. Michael Johnson's bucking, but he comes out, he's slamming shots home. Nurmagomedov uh, keeps him out. You can see the hand is still trapped. Thinks he's going to go for a head and arm triangle, but he would have to get off to the side and then rotate potentially, so he knows there's nothing really here for it. So he lets it go and decides instead, you know what, I'll just hop over and pass to the other side and just take side control like this. Johnson tries to buck, and what winds up happening is it just... Puts him over to, let's see, he's on, he gets to the left side of the body, or the right side, I should say, and ends up as he ju- as he jumps to the right side. So he basically stays where he is. He's just, Michael Johnson pushed off the fence, but Nurmagomedov follows him. Got the inside control here, controlling the head, and the other arm controlling the hips. And you can see that he never drops his hips too much from this position. He always keeps a knee in here. His positional control is tight insofar as um, you might move underneath it, but you never really get much of an advantage. A lot of jiu-jitsu guys try to shut down positions. As I mentioned before, you get to mount and you try to shut it down. Nurmagomedov doesn't try to shut it down like that. He allows for some fluidity. It's just you just keep, you just never climb the rope. You just basically stay there as the rope keeps giving you slack. That's kind of his position on this. And he always likes to control an arm. He digs the arm. He'll dig this one flat with this leg. Um, he'll do, we, do, we saw it from pass, right? Or he'll try to uh, to mount. He'll put it behind him. We saw from side control. He likes to put it behind him. He always likes to isolate an arm in the process. Or a leg, too. He likes to trap your legs. Here he goes. He's going to step over for this Kimura. Johnson kinds of, kind of blocks it here. Uh, so he kind of goes back. You see that? But now, look what he did. As Johnson was all worried about this, what did he do in the meantime? Whoop, see that? Neon belly. You think you're doing something. Oh, let me worry about what's going on up at the top of my head. And he just takes it down below. It's just, there's just nowhere to hide. And what's he doing? He lost the cross face, so now he just drives the elbow to put the face across. It's, it's like, it's just an absurd level of control on the ground, okay? Now he's going to move around. He might be thinking north-south, I don't know. But if it was north-south, I don't. he wouldn't necessarily need to keep the arm here. So it's not quite clear, clear what he's doing. But what he is doing, he's controlling the head, he's controlling the hips. So what happens? So now you can see, this is terrible. You might be asking, and this is graphic, so I apologize. You might be asking, does this 
Isn't this humiliating and awful? Yes. And if you've ever rolled with a guy who was good at this position and didn't shower properly, yes, it smells bad under there in ways that it uniquely doesn't necessarily in the room. So enjoy that. Uh, okay. So here he comes. Now he's trying to find risk control. The problem is they don't really show us how we set it up, and that's a big component of this. And I, I, there's replays, and you just can't see it. So unfortunately, I don't have I don't have a great way to show you how we set this up. But there is a lesson to be learned here. Okay. Now he's got it. Now he's got it. Now, now you see that Johnson has this inside space. That is not nothing. It's not it's not great, but it's not nothing, because he doesn't want number man to step around the head. Okay. Although he's not grabbing the inside of his thigh, so that's kind of bad, right? You can grab the inside of a thigh to help you from getting your arm snatched back. But I want to show something here. We talked about Harambe's um, grip strength. But what's also amazing about Nurmagomedov is, is he strong? Sure. But he doesn't rely on it to get what he needs. In fact, look here. What's going to wind up happening is he is going to free this. What a lot of guys do wrong is couple things. One, they just try to pull up on it. If you just try to pull up once you've got the double wrist lock, right, it's not going to go against unless there's a massive, massive strength disparity. It's not going to work. So a couple things you can do, especially if a guy is grabbing his belt in a gi, you actually press into it and then out, or you can press into it and then out at a certain angle. You can peel back the pinky side of their grip first because that's the weakest side. Your thumb is the strong side of your grip. Your pinky is the weak side of your grip. Nurmagomedov, doesn't worry about that. Here's what's going to happen. Johnson doesn't want to get his arm separated. He wants to keep his arm next to his body. That means he needs to go this way. But the truth is, Nurmagomedov wants to go that way too. right? He wants to separate the arm. He wants to cover that distance from the arm being separated. So they're both going to go like this, counterclockwise. But the truth is, what Nurmagomedov does is, he seals the double wrist lock, the Kimura, whatever they call it in Russian, and he's going to use his body to rotate it out and over. He's not going to try and just muscle. I'm going to use my arms to pull your arms away from your body. That just doesn't. Let's, maybe he's beat up and that works a little bit. And if he's tired, it works a lot. But what you really notice is he rotates over. You see that? Johnson moves how much? Johnson's about right here. Okay. Johnson, well, just watch Johnson here. Johnson goes square to the cage and then almost to the side, and that's done. So he moves a lot to cover that space. Now watch Nurmagomedov. And watch it as I move through the slides here quickly. See that? He goes even further. He uses his body to press down and away, but not with his arms away from his body. Yeah, his elbow gets separated a little bit. Yeah, I mean, his elbow is out, right? And you see Johnson trying to cover that space on the inside, right? His elbows are partly away from his body. But what's really doing the work is he is pushing down and away, and he's going to muscle around with his body to get that to go over. That's how that happened, by maintaining a strong angle and corkscrewing his arms out. That's how he gets that out. A lot of guys try to just push it away with their arms or pull up with their arms. You can't do that. You got to use your arms to get a stable grip. You do want to, of course, apply some force, and then you want to open everything up by rotating your body around to corkscrew it out. 
Johnson tried to cover the space, but you can't keep up with the guy on top with that kind of a leverage. It's just not going to work. And for folks who've never been in one, that double wrist lock grip, that Kimura grip, it's one of the most powerful grips that you can have. That's why a lot of guys try it in MMA for like Kimuras from half guard. Jeremy Stevens tried one on Frankie Edgar because it's so powerful. You may not get anything from it, but it feels so protective because they can't do anything with their arm once you get it. So here we have him stepped over the head now the arm is going behind him he pulls him up just enough into his own belly live toe so he doesn't get turned and he's against the fence anyway and he's going to put this behind him and how's he going to do it pretty simple he's going to slowly wrench it and he's going to bring as he as he does it he's going to watch him he'll rotate it over right to get behind and then he scoots into the position you see him scooting in to go over like he doesn't want to ever extend space out where he's losing balance he rebalances himself Every, every time this wrist goes further this way, he's scooting in further this way to cover that space and to make sure he's got the right amount of balance the whole way through. You see it now, it's just getting very, very bad. Look at the grimace on his face, okay? Right? And you can see him. Let's see how far we have to go. You can see him sliding up at the very end there. See how he slid up? In, he slides up into it, right? And then he just puts it behind him. We've gone over this Kimura with uh, Polharis and Shields. You know, you want to make their middle of their arm touch their spine. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to sort of think about this Kimura. But stepping over his head, sliding into the position, covering his belly. He can't go anywhere. I mean, look at his arm. I mean, it's just so awful. And that's the end of it, right? That's that's that, that's when they close the show. Uh, one more time, let's look at this Kimura very quickly. In fact, this is a good way to look at it once we're here. So watch, he gets it free here. Okay, now it's behind him. Just watch Nurmagomedov's body here. Oh, here's a good, another good look at it. You know, I didn't get the best look at it here. It's not, it's not a whole lot. I'm just saying here, you can see he's sort of still up and off to the side. He's going to drop his weight like that. You see how he dropped his weight here? And now he's going to, as he pushes this back... He's going to slide up into it so that he can get closer to his hips, can get closer to it. He can get his body on top of it or behind it as he needs to. Uh, and he's going to rotate his own body. He's not going to, again, he's not going to push his own arms out. He's going to, he's going to grab that grip and he's going to make sure he just twists his trunk to get that to go like that. Boom. Uh, and then that it, that's you can see how much further he's sort of facing around than let's say here, right? He has to get he has to twist all the way around. And let's go take a look at those side shots real quick. <coughs> here we go. You can see his hips are still kind of facing down, head uh, leg over the head, which he means he's screwed, right? This is a nice tight grip. What's he gonna do? Right? You don't want your elbows too far away. See, now he can balance off this leg, which enables him to grab this in the way. See, here he's still kind of he's still kind of locking this up. It's not quite deep enough. But once he is able to push that inside, right, right behind him, and you do see, look, look at the bend here. You do see him extending out a little bit, like he is flexing his arms out. But now that he's pushing here, he can rotate his body over to get the rest. And that's what it looks like after you've beaten, you know, one of the top 10 guys in the world. Pretty, pretty impressive by Habib Nurmagomedov. All right, and last but not least, let's take a look at what's coming up ahead. Another big weekend in mixed martial arts. Now, not UFC 205 big, but big. 
Um, so there are three events, two UFC events on the same day, one Bellator. Let's take a look at the Bellator event very, very quickly if we can. Uh, let's see. In the main event, this should be a fun one, man. Michael Chandler taking on Benson Henderson. I love this fight. Uh, Michael Page will take on Fernando Gonzalez. Linton Vassal versus Francis Carmont. Brandon Gertz versus, take, remember this name, Adam Piccolotti. And then Carrie Ann Taylor Melendez versus Sheila Padija. Now, in the UFC... We got two events. So first you have in Belfast, Northern Ireland, you have UFC Fight Night Musasi versus Hall, UFC 99, UFC Fight Night 99, excuse me. In the main card on Fight Pass, Musasi versus Hall, Pearson versus Stevie Ray, Timothy Johnson versus Alexander Volkov, Artem Lobov versus Taruto Ishihara. Also on the preliminary card, you have McCall versus Neil Siri, Magnus Seedenblad versus Jack Marshman, Kyoji Horiguchi versus Ali Bagotinov. That's a great fight. Kevin Lee versus Megamed Mustafayev. That's a sick fight right there. Uh, Anna Elmos versus Amanda Cooper, Justin Ledette, back with that jab player, versus Mark Godbeer, Zach Cummings versus Alexander Yakovlev, Marion Renault versus Milana Dudieva, Brett Johns versus Quan Ho Kwok, and Charlie Ward versus Abdul Razak Al Hassan. Then you have UFC Fight Night 100. This will take place, I believe, on Fox Sports 1, if I'm not mistaken. Although I might be. But here's the fight card in any case. Ryan Bader versus Nogueira. It's the rematch. Thomas Almeida is back versus Albert Morales. Claudia Gadelia is back this time with Jackson's, of course, versus Courtney Casey. That's a great fight. Talos Lightes versus Christoph Jokko. Uh, Varley Alves versus Kamaru Usman. Another good one. Uh, Sergio Moraes versus Zach Otto. Cesar Fajera versus Jack Hermanson. Marcos Rogerio de Lima uh, versus uh, Gadzimorad Antigulov. Forgive my pronunciation. Johnny Eduardo versus Manvel Gamburian. Luis Henrique versus uh, Christian Colombo. Oh, God, really? Uh, Pedro Munoz versus Justin Scoggins. That's a sick fight. Scoggins goes up to bantamweight. And then Francis Marbojosa versus Darren Stewart. Lots of action. So stay tuned. Thank you guys so much for watching. If you have any comments, luke.thomas at SBNation.com. I'm happy to field them there. Please give it a like. Subscribe to the channel. If you said hi to me at UFC 205, thank you so much. You guys were so great in person. I'm so humbled and honored and appreciative of all your support. Thank you so much. And until next time, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the fights.